Okay, so once again, good morning. Uh, it's great to be with you. If you have your Bibles with you, you'll want to open them to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 5. As I mentioned during the announcements, we, uh, we took a break last week from the Sermon on the Mount, the series that we've been going through called The Good Life, uh, Human Flourishing According to Jesus, uh, so that we could have a, uh, a special message on Father's Day for the men. And I think today, based on the text that we're going to be in, some of you are going to realize why I thought maybe we should do that message last week, which was still, you know, getting in the grill of some of the men and encouraging them, I hope. Uh, but uh, today's passage, I thought at the time, was like, yeah, I don't know if that's going to land very well on Father's Day. I think you'll see what I mean when I'm going to read the text for you. It's in chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. And so uh, read with me the words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. I need to pray. I think we all do. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that you've anointed and appointed this time that uh, we would be here in this room together and those that are watching online as well. And that we would be reading this text, hearing these words from you, Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, I, I want to thank you. We thank you for being uh, loving enough, thoughtful enough to have preached this sermon, these words, to those men on that day, on that mountaintop, and to everyone else who's ever heard them including us here today. So I thank you for that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just help me unpack this a little bit in such a way that it would be helpful to us. That uh, you would do the work of sanctifying our hearts, especially us men, but women too. So I pray for your encouragement and for your blessing and your power this morning to do that work in us. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So, um, have you ever had someone ask you this question? Do you want the good news or the bad news? Hmm? Ever had that question asked of you? <clears throat> I mean, sadly, sometimes that can happen when you go to the doctor. But obviously, when you hear there's bad news, but there's also good news, you're hopeful. You know, that, that could happen when you're meeting with your teacher or with a, a job review, right? That could happen if you take your car to the mechanic, right? I just want to let you know that every time that happens, it's always bad news. It's just going to be bad news, okay? Just letting you know about that. And then you're asked, which do you want to hear first? Do you want to hear the good news or the bad news first, right? Almost 10 years ago, um, I had my back literally go out. Couldn't get out of bed in the morning because of a bolt of lightning that was going through my body. 
I was uh, on the verge of being paralyzed from the waist down. Didn't know it, but my back went out. <clears throat> Medics picked me up, uh, took me down to Lion's Gate Hospital. Um, it's kind of frightening, <laughs> to be honest with you. And uh, I, I just remember being in, in this, uh, this bed after having a CT scan, and this young surgeon, I thought he was way too young, came up to me and said, uh, I have some good news and some bad news for you. <laughs> what do you want first? And I was like, I don't know. He goes, well, I'll give you the good news first. And I went, yes, please. The good news is I can fix you. It was good to hear. And so I said, well, what's the bad news? And he said, well, we need to get you into surgery like Tooth Suite within the next 24 hours, and you can't move while you're in this bed at all. I think at that point I said, where do I sign? <laughs> I, like, so here I am, I'm standing here, and it, it's a miracle, really. Doctors, surgeons are amazing. And so I share that with you because, listen, you heard this text, right? You heard me read this text? And so I feel like what we need to do is we need to look at the bad news first. We really need to look at the bad news. Some of you are going, who've been coming to The Rock for many years, you know that every once in a while that happens, right? And you're probably thinking to yourself, oh no, Glenn, not again. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, and the reality is, is that, look, that, this is exactly what Jesus is, is doing, right? That's how he preached. That is exactly how he brought messages, was he would go to the bad news before he would bring the good news of the gospel. But you'll remember the greatest sermon that was ever preached, right? You remember that sermon? Peter, the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. You know, he gets up, uh, the Holy Spirit comes over him, right? He's like empowered, the same guy that denied Jesus three times. And, and basically his, con his conclusion to his sermon after, you know, like basically preaching hard at them for I don't know how long, but it was probably longer than I normally preach. Basically his message to them was, listen, you killed Jesus. So that's bad news, right? You basically, he said, all of you, based on your murderous anger, you sided with the Romans. Actually, you, you encouraged the Romans with all of your religious leaders to kill the Messiah. This is bad news. Well, there's the result. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, we read, Now, when they heard this, I love these words. They were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What can we do? So the word of God preached boldly. The truth about sin that they collectively committed was laid bare in their laps. Peter responded and said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Good, good, good news? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is good news that flows, listen, out of hearing about and confessing our complicity in the bad news. All right? Some bad news. We're going to get to what it would have looked like in the day, the bad news in their day. 
But I have to tell you, as I prayed about it and thought about it in the last couple of weeks, thinking about being here this morning with you, I believe, based on what I know of history and what I know of the Bible, we've moved way past anything comparable in their day related to these subjects when it comes to adultery, lust, and divorce. In five or six verses, Jesus is preaching the trifecta. The scriptures that quote Jesus and Paul saying that in the last days people will dot, 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 that's what my notes say, you know, I don't have to repeat those for you, do I? You can go into the Gospels and read what Jesus says. Well, people will be like in the last days. You can read Paul. Oh, he, he's pretty good at that, bringing that up, what they'll be like in the last days. I don't need to repeat them here today. They describe a people in a culture that is far, 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 far from the righteousness of God and is instead debased, degenerate, carnal, and ultimately a culture that has made sex an idol. I'm pretty sure that most of you would not deny that. Friends, we live in, honestly, a sex-crazed world. Some of you know, and people are going to laugh, my background in business, but, you know, marketing, advertising, etc. I mean, I've, I've seen the images. I've seen the promotion of it. I've seen the use, obviously, of sex, women in particular, in order to sell stuff. It's not just selling the product. Selling something else. So stats. I got some stats for you. I could keep, I mean, we could, we could look at stats all morning. It would be painful, I understand. But just a few, and, and some of them are shocking, but you can go and Google it and figure it out and find it out for yourself, but... As I said, bad news. Uh, Recent, in the last five years, uh, respected survey organizations will tell you that um, in university in the United States anyway and in college um, and and, uh, graduate schools, 98% of men admit to looking at porn at least once a month. Let me say that again. 98%. Ladies, this is shocking. 74% of women, college age, once a month. Uh, It's happening in the church as well. Barna, a very credible um, Christian survey organization, will tell you that it's good that people are honest. 64% of Christian males admit to once a month, 34% of women. It's not just on the internet, it's movies where it's, you know, it's pornographic, essentially. Adultery. I I find this actually hard to believe, but apparently we're now at a stage where the gap between the, the men, married men and married women has narrowed considerably who are committing adultery. I mean, it used, to be, it used to be, at least when I was growing up, it was predominantly the men. That, that gap has narrowed a lot. In fact, in our culture today, um, the reality is we're at a point when we have been for about 15, 20, maybe 30 years where people have been 
professing this idea or in actually being encouraged with this idea that, you know, a little bit on the side isn't going to hurt anybody. In fact, it might actually help your relationship. (laughs) Thankfully, secular psychologists today who have had to deal with the broken marriages and and the, the broken lives of the individuals who believe those lies will tell you today, no, 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 no. It's not helpful. It's not helpful at all. Here's a tough one. Sexual abuse. We live on the traditional lands of the Musqueam and the Squamish Nation people. I think in the first two or three years of planting this church, we had a member of our church bring his mother to our house um, She was a Squamish Nation chief. Uh, She passed away just a few years ago. Um, Walked into our house for Christmas dinner and sat down, and the first thing she said was, I was abused in a residential school as a child. My dear wife, Janice, got on her knees in front of her and just said, I'm so sorry. So we know that's true, right? How how about this? Um, The Southern Baptist Convention, I'm not picking on the Baptists, and I'm going to point out why in a second, but are you aware of what's going on down there? For the past 20 years, the leaders of that denomination have had a list of men who they've known were perpetrators of kids and women and did nothing about it. It's devastating. And like I said, let's not pick on the Baptists. It's across denominational lines, and it's across theological lines. Very much so. So leaders are involved. And yes, I forgot to mention about stats. Yeah, pastors and ministry leaders watching porn, looking at porn. Thankfully, people are confessing of it, at least to surveys. Marriage and divorce. Of course, the stats for marriage and divorce are also discouraging, but also shouldn't be surprising. As I was doing research uh, for this, I couldn't believe this. I I found uh, through one commentator... uh, some quotes from the 1970s. Now, again, I'm older than most of you here, so I was there. (laughs) And I remember some of this stuff, but there was a a British physician who was quite popular. His name was David Graham Cooper. He wrote a book in 1970 called The Death of the Family. And he suggested at that time that the best thing that could happen for society would be the end of the nuclear family. Because he said, quote, It is a conditioning device for a Western imperialistic worldview. 1970. Does that sound like any theories that we have today in our world? But there was also an advocate for women's liberation. Her her name is Kate Millett. She maintained in a very, very popular book in that day called Sexual Politics, pardon me, from 1970 again. This is a quote from her book. She said, The family unit must go because... It is the family that has oppressed and enslaved women. These, these books, this type of stuff was been taught in our universities for decades now. Maybe you didn't know that. Another big shift occurred, actually, again, when I was a, a kid. <laughs> um, in the mid-60s, when the birth control pill was made widely, widely, widely available. 
Initially, it was lauded again as a boon for the liberation of women, giving women the ability to enjoy sexual relations and have some control over the number of children they might have to bear. Ladies, please hear this well. I'm just telling you the history behind it. Something you may not be aware of is that up until 1965, it was illegal for a pharmacist to sell the pill to anyone other than a married woman. Did you know that? I'll tell you what, when I was in high school, it didn't stop the daughters from getting the pill. The shift, I'm raised Catholic. I was in a Catholic boys' high school with a Catholic girls' school across the road. And I'm telling you, the shift was incredible that happened at that time. Young women were taking the pill. Why? Well, (laughs) figure it out. And, and I'll tell you something, it became very clear pretty soon who the girls were who were on the pill. Talk about mispopularity. But here's the thing. The reality is, the main reason why I highlight that is that the real reason was this was a, apparently a clarion call to the, for the liberty of young women, but it wasn't Really? It was actually, the purpose of it was so that they and their boyfriends could have sex, listen, outside of marriage. That's the lovely 60s, and that's when it started to break down and unfold. So, where are we at today? Well, as you know, marriage is no longer what God instituted or had in mind for our flourishing I had the wonderful opportunity to officiate at one of our niece's weddings yesterday. It was a breath of fresh air. (laughs) And secondly, neither is sex. Porn again, just as one example, has such a devastating effect. Secular psychologists and scientists are now confirming absolutely that the constant looking at Pornography, especially in young boys, is affecting their brains, all men, is affecting their brains in ways where it's a reason why they're saying, I'm not saying this, they're saying this, so much ADHD, etc. is prevalent in young boys. Remember the stats. And men, by the way, I I have to say this, it's also affecting our ability as men to have appropriate sexual intimacy with our own lives. Enough bad news? Well, I agree. Let's uh, turn it over to Jesus, speaking into a culture, Jewish in particular, and he takes them again, look, to the heart of the issue. Why? To beat them up? (laughs) No. No. He wants them to be whole, to be healed. So let's read his words and listen to what he has to say. Verse 27 again will be on screen for you. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Where's that from? It's from the Ten Commandments, right? It's from the law. And so we've been going through this in this wonderful series, the Sermon on the Mount series. And, and Jesus is now taking these six antitheses, which is... We're in the second one now. And he's giving examples, really, of of what it looks like to be righteous, but to to be healed so that one can truly be righteous and live a righteous life. 
And so this is the seventh commandment, and they all knew it very well. God had commanded it. Why? Because he wants you to be healthy in your relationships and to protect marriage. So there's nothing new here for them. Excuse me. <clears throat> but we need to understand what's going on here. We might think that we live in the day, and by the way, again, in the, my life and the lifetime that I've had, no-fault insurance, insurance, no-fault divorce was instituted, right, in North America, around the world. We, we think we invented that. No. <laughs> it was alive and well in that day, as we're going to see. Sadly, the religious leaders in that day had done that with the law, and we'll dig into it, as I'll say, in just a few minutes. But first, let's understand that adultery was an issue in that day. It obviously was an issue in that day because Jesus is talking about it. It's, it's been an issue since Adam and Eve, quite frankly, so he's talking about it. But it's, it's important also for us to see it's just like murder that we looked at two weeks ago. Most religious people in that day, Jewish people in that day, would be like, well, okay, look, I have never committed physical murder. So check the box, I'm good with God. Jesus had something to say about that, didn't he, with anger. But in this case, they're probably feeling the same way. Well, I, I have not had physical, uh, uh, committed physical adultery. And, and, and the, the truth is, as we're going to see, most of them had not. However, Jesus adds, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Back up the bus. What? <laughs> Did he just say? Now, these are smart people, just like we are. They're, we're not smarter than they were in that day. They heard these words, and they're like, hold, hold on. First of all, he's again saying, but I say to you, right? Their religious leaders would never say that, so he's claiming to have an equal relationship with the divine, with God, when it comes to these things. So it's a very powerful statement. So he throws them a huge curveball. Lustful intent implies this. And I'm positive they got this. It implies a look that isn't just accidental or appreciative. Listen, like men, ladies, you know, you, you can see a, uh, a woman, it uh, doesn't matter, I mean, all different kinds of women, and you can say, based on the way she's dressed or whatever, it's, she looks beautiful. You can appreciate that. We can. Especially if it's our wife. So it's not the accidental or appreciative of her beauty, but it's a look that, listen, desires sexual arousal. I'll add to that, it's a look that's looking for sexual arousal. So, again, man, listen. That desire for sexual arousal, or more anyway, is in Jesus' mind, and the words that he's using here, it's already there. It's already in our hearts. Jesus concludes then, that if that is what has been going on via your looking then listen, it's already a done deal then. You have already committed adultery with her. That's the way God sees it. It's the way Jesus wants you and I to see it. Why? Again, to beat us up? No. <laughs> to heal us. <laughs> to get us away from all that. 
We're members of the kingdom. We're the ones who are poor in spirit, and therefore the kingdom of God is ours. Amen? He's, he's purchased a new life for us, a great life, sexually as well. Essentially, he's saying you've already committed adultery with her and where, of course, and it's in your hearts, and that's what Jesus is wanting to get to and to heal is your heart, men and women. Okay, come on, men and women. One commentator put it this way. It's not lustful looking that causes the sin in the heart, but the sin in the heart that causes lustful looking. Oh, yeah, okay, come on. It's okay to take this personal. The lustful looking is but the expression of a heart that is already immoral and adulterous. The heart is the soil where the seeds of sin are embedded and begin to grow. Man, we went through this, remember, weeks and weeks ago, Romans 8, Paul, actually in Romans 7, he was going, I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> he's 20 years a Christian, church planter, and he's like, he's, I, what I know I shouldn't be doing, I'm doing it still. And what I should be doing, I'm not doing. And, and, and it was about sanctification. He's, he's trying to impress upon us the fact that we need to walk in the Spirit because the Holy Spirit will heal us of these things. So this is where Jesus wants to get to with us here today. So now, the context of their day is important. The reality is this. Most faithful Jewish men, and I guarantee you women in that day, were not committing physical adultery. Most weren't. Now, do you know why? Do you know what the penalty for it was? Death by stoning. So, you know, especially if you're religious, you know, well. So it was, look, it was a capital offense in that day, as was murder. It was a capital offense. Now, if you and I were present on that day, I, I do think we'd be, if not cut to the heart, hopefully they were, and hopefully some of us are, at least be asking, okay, okay hold on. What can I do about this problem? Like those men and women asked Peter. In his answer, Jesus affirms that if they do not listen, if, if they do not heed his teachings, if we do not heed his teachings, there will be consequences. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. So in both cases, Jesus is talking about the right eye and the right hand, which, again, in their culture in that day would be speaking to their strength. So he, he's basically saying, take the strongest part of your body and get rid of it. Listen, that's a radical call to purity, isn't it? I forgot to tell you at the beginning, the title of the sermon is A Radical Call to Purity. But that's what that is. The ancient and revered theologian, listen, origin, some of you studied history and studied, you know, the, the, the original theological fathers of the, 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 the church today. Origin was one of them. He took this very literally and he had himself castrated. He learned several years later that didn't stop his mind from lusting. <laughs> So this, this is not, guys, relax. This is not what Jesus is getting at, okay? 
definitely know what I'm getting at. So we'll come back to this in conclusion shortly, but for now, let's understand this, that Jesus is speaking, listen, he's speaking about the sanctity and the sacredness of marriage. That's what he's getting at here. Adultery was and still is, as defi- is defined as sexual intercourse with someone who is not your wife or your husband. It is unfaithfulness to the covenant of marriage that you entered into, that we entered into, and it will destroy, look, it'll destroy your marriage relationship, at least for a time and a season. And it will also potentially destroy your family. So at this point, Jesus goes, to divorce. That's interesting. Verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorcement or divorce. So Jesus again begins, begins with what was said of old, but now listen, this is not part of the Ten Commandments. This, this is something that definitely they had written and that they, they felt they were living to, and, and this was like, this was their out. But then Jesus again says, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Listen, just just go home and read those words. I don't really think I need to unpack them or make... Do I have to make them... I mean, it's very clear. It's, It's very serious consequences. Now, later in Matthew, Jesus comes back to this when the Pharisees, probably still stinging a little bit from this Sermon on the Mount deal, right? They, they, they come to him, and, and we read this. It won't be on screen, the first part, in Matthew 19, verses 3 to 9. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Any cause, important point. He answered, have you not read the scripture? That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Kind of mentioned that at weddings whenever I do that. It's really important. They said to him or asked, well, why then? Did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Jesus answered, because of your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, here it is again, but I say to you, whoever divorces divorces his wife except for pornea in the Greek... Sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So listen, in that day, here's what was happening. Here's what was happening. For many centuries, they had literally come up with what I've already said, something called no-fault divorce. They'd already come up with that. It, It kind of worked this way. Your wife, she burns your meal three Sabbaths in a row. You know, she forgets to spice it properly three Sabbaths in a row. You know, she's... She's had a number of kids, and she's just not looking that good anymore. I'm not making this up. Read the, the Josephus, the, the Jewish historians. This is not being made up. It, it, more likely, here's what was going on, though. 
And Jesus knew this. Of course he did. He's God. Holy Spirit knows this. It was because they had lust in their heart. In the marketplace where they were, you know, Mr. Popular, in the church where they were Mr. Popular, another woman had caught their eye. And, well, listen, you can't commit physical adultery with her because that, that's, you're going you're to be stoned for that and you're going to lose all credibility in your religious family for that. However, all you had to do was give her a certificate and say, goodbye, and you're free. Jesus wants them to know, listen, and he wants us to know this as well, that this kind of divorce is a charade. And it has no place in the life of a man or a woman. Now, also, please see this. Jesus does give one exception that we also must not abuse today. But it is the ex exception that if a spouse has committed adultery, has been unfaithful to the, the offended party, then the wife in this case would have the right before God to divorce their husband. And this is important, to remarry and not be in adultery. There's another exception in Scripture that we find uh, that exists, and I would concur with it, obviously, because it's in Scripture, and that is on the basis of either neglect or abuse. A woman can ask their pastor and their church to allow them to be divorced, and they should be. But that's, again, not God's heart. It's not ultimately his heart, the point that Jesus has in mind for all of us all the time is, <coughs> again, sorry, excuse me, <clears throat> is first purity and righteousness. That's what he has in mind for all of us all the time. And in the event that we fail and we do repentance, forgiveness, and restoration. That's still as hard. Divorce has got to be the last, the last step. Sometimes it is necessary. So what's, what's that? I want to draw this to a conclusion for you. I want to suggest to you that the law, which Jesus has been saying in the Sermon on the Mount, which he's not come to abolish but to fulfill, and not only did he fulfill it in his life, but he wants to have it fulfilled righteously in our lives too. That's the process of sanctification. So he didn't come again to like, guys, that, look, those Ten Commandments on the wall over there, you better, because listen, the Father and myself and the Holy Spirit, we're just waiting for you to mess up because it's kind of fun for us because then what we get to do is we get to punish you. No. Sometimes people can get that impression, sadly, from what's preached in pulpits. It's not the heart at all. The reality is, is that Jesus knows that our sin and in this case, our lust is killing us. That's what sin does. It's no different than, listen, I've used this illustration before, and I know it's, but it's no different than a cancer that grows out of control. And sometimes you can't see it. The person looks really nice and clean on the outside, right? Looks nice and healthy, right? But it's starting to grow. Well, that, that's what sin is like. It's there. And if it's not through the power of the Holy Spirit crushed, it will grow. So Jesus, listen, he wants us to flourish. 
So as I've said before, in these, last, these first two examples, Jesus is showing us how important relationships are to God. Our relationship, of course, first and foremost with him is incredibly important to him, but secondly, with each other. These relationships are sacred to God. Thou shalt not murder is about the sanctity of life. Is that in the headlines these days? Yeah, it sure is. And our text for today is about the sanctity, again, of marriage. So, in conclusion, almost, the goal of radical purity, the goal is faithfulness and wholeness. The work of the Holy Spirit that he wants to do in us is that we will be truly faithful to God and to one another in all of our human relationships, but especially in marriage. So a couple of practical takeaways for the men and maybe the women this morning. Two things, guys. Two things. From my own experience, number one, look away. Number two, walk away. Look away. I remember many, many years ago, look, I mean, I, 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 I like women. I'm married to a beautiful woman, okay? Like, and, and so it, like, I'm like just every other guy who went to a Catholic boys' high school for five years, you know? And, you know, like you could always say, well, no, I'm just, no, come on. Well, I heard a sermon one time that really convicted me. And, and it was like, look, look away. Don't leer. Don't keep looking. That's a start, isn't it? And, and especially when you're with your wife. <laughs> and I remember one time, it, it happened, this happened several times, actually. But one time, even when we were here in Squamish, Dennis and I were walking, you know, from our car to the um, uh, independent grocer and, and a scantily dressed young woman is walking, you know, and, and I'm like, whoop, like, like this, and I'm holding her hand, and, and she squeezed my hand, and she said, I saw that. She saw me look away. Whew. That's good. Come on. That's very, very good. The other is walk away, guys. And I'm not, again, I, I remember being at a party several years ago, a Super Bowl party, and uh, halftime was on, and there was a particular woman uh, going to get on stage and do her thing. You know, I think there was a poll. Anyway, I'm serious. And, and I, I don't know, like, I'm not trying to be holier than thou or whatever, guys, but I just remember at that point, I just, I, I, I had a beer, and I just remembered, I, I'm, I'm walking away. And I walked outside. I'm just saying, I'm not, listen, I, I've got a long way to go. I'm not picking on anybody here, but look away, walk away. Guys, please. Secondly, men, about your right hand, is it weird today that we have these things? Right? Or your computer where you... Guys, you can do this, by the way. Guys, especially. We've got to control our hands. You can do that got to control our hands because our hands are leading our eyes somewhere. So finally, men and women, let me ask you this really, I think, key question. Related to cutting out your eye or off your right hand, if a doctor were to say to you, again, I'm going to mention this subject, but if a doctor was to say to you, got some bad news, you have a tumor in your body that's growing and it's going to kill you, and you're like... Please tell me there's good news. And then the doctor says, actually, in your case, I think there's really good news. 
It appears to be completely encased. And if we get it out, you're going to be good. Excuse me. Would you sign up? This is what Jesus is offering to do for us. He is the great physician. He's wanting to do surgery on your heart. Men and women here today, are we willing to let him be the great physician and to heal us? I pray we are. Pray with me, would you?